Randy Pitchford and Gearbox exonerated? What it all means. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a bit of an update video, a short one, I hope, but based on one that we did a few months back on Mr. Randy Pitchford, the CEO of Gearbox, and what I described in my previous video as his $12 million magic trick. Now, if you're not familiar with Gearbox, they are the makers of the Borderlands series, among others. They just had Borderlands 3 released last month. Apparently, at least as far as the market reports that we have seen so far as a massive, massive success, even though it is an Epic Game Store exclusive on the PC, I've been personally playing it on the Xbox, and you can hear me and my brother talk about the game on Two Hogs Are Better Than One that we recorded over the weekend. My brother has a lot of thoughts on the game design of that. I think we talk about it for about 20 minutes. Uh, but suffice it to say, Borderlands 3 has been a success, but there was a tumultuous period over the summer in which a lot of the kind of drama around Gearbox related to this lawsuit. And it was a messy one, almost a tabloid one. And I'm going to pull up the article that I gave some quotes to for Game Daily Biz about this, just to kind of give some flavor for the nature of what we were talking about here. In this article, it says, former Gearbox employee provides proof Randy Pitchford diverted funds to personal company. We get a little bit of the background. It says, in late 2018, Pitchford sued Calendar over a series of financial matters that include allegations that Calendar misused company credit cards for personal expenses and destroyed evidence related to a home loan funded by the studio. Calendar countersued a month later in December 2018, presenting a salacious account of a USB drive full of pornography and sensitive corporate documents left by Pitchford at a Medieval Times restaurant. If you follow video games and the video game industry at all, you probably remember bits and pieces of this. It's very hard to forget someone leaving a USB drive full of salacious materials at a Medieval Times. One of the many allegations included in the suit indicates that Pitchford siphoned $12 million in Borderlands bonuses intended for the studio. At the time this came to light, in January 2019, Gearbox vehemently denied the entirety of Calendar's accusations. On June 12, 2019, so just a few months ago, Calendar's attorney submitted a new 76-page filing that includes an amendment to the Borderlands 3 contract between Gearbox and 2K that references the $12 million. This contract amendment includes a clause titled Bonus for Satisfaction of Dedicated Executive Requirement. This clause states that the developer is eligible for a recoupable $15 million bonus. In other words, upon satisfaction of the terms, publisher 2K Games would pay out $15 million to Gearbox. Now, we covered this in the previous video, but suffice it to say, this, the terms of this contract basically say, as long as Pitchford and Ball spend at least, I believe it's 30 hours, but a significant amount of their work week working on Borderlands 3, and they hit these various milestones in terms of production, then the, the publisher will pay this extra money. And what happened here was that Pitchford wound up taking his $12 million and saying, instead of paying it to Gearbox, pay it to my company directly because this is a bonus that I have earned and I'm the reason that the company's getting this money. And that was the open question and it was part of the lawsuit that did Randy Pitchford siphon this money away from the employees or was this a legitimate use of his ownership and control of the company? And that's what I was giving quotes on to Game Daily Biz. I will link this in the description. You can also find it in the description to the earlier video if you want a little bit more context on all of this. Uh, but I did say, hey, 
it was likely that Randy negotiating the agreement directly. So that, so that brings up its own concerns, especially if the plan was always for Randy to receive the $12 million. In fact, if he wasn't in functional control of the company, I wouldn't doubt that if such a provision were an agreement of this type, uh, a provision that says, hey, if employee X works on this, you get this extra money, that he could go to his board and say, I deserve a portion or perhaps all of that bonus amount. The issue here is that since he is in control of the company, I'm not sure they went through the proper corporate processes to cleanse any such decision. Such a cleansing action would ordinarily take place through the approval of disinterested directors or stockholders. In other words, if the folks that are not directly benefiting from the contract or payment approve of it, generally the law is going to be okay with it. And that's across all the states of the United States that says, hey, if you've got something that's potentially an interested party transaction, we understand. We understand how companies work, that you might have the land that the company is going to want to use to have its headquarters. Then as long as you get it cleansed, as long as you get it approved by the people that aren't going to make money off of this thing, that they can look at it and say, yep, that's a fair deal for the company, then the law is not going to start getting meddling in these various business decisions because, frankly, there are too many of them, and it wouldn't make sense to do so because most of the time they're fine. But that's the open question here is whether or not it was okay. And when we actually look at the language of the lawsuit and of the amended complaint that that article is referring to, you get this kind of prosecutorial approach to how these how these cases often are seen in the eyes of litigators. And I commented on this in the earlier video, but you look at this language and the introduction, the very first sentence of this claim is, Randy Pitchford is a manipulative, morally bankrupt narcissist who is determined to exploit his oldest friend, a Texas attorney and military veteran named Wade Callender. Contrary to Pitchford's desperate proclamations to the world via Twitter and the press earlier this year, Pitchford is in full retreat. Facing court orders to produce the evidence demonstrating the falsity of Pitchford's allegations and the truth of Callender's claims, Pitchford and Gearbox have been forced to completely abandon various claims. It had been confirmed that Pitchford and Gearbox never filed their supposed grievance against Calendar with the state bar, and in fact have quietly withdrawn such allegations from their lawsuit. This continues and continues. These are topics which Pitchford fought vehemently from having to address. Clearly, Pitchford's cry that he was seeking swift truth and justice was just more sleight of hand to propagate another fiction he was trying to create. Like so many Pitchford ruses, that fiction has now been dismantled, etc., etc., etc. And I talked about it around my earlier video. This is a little bit of flourish. This is not stuff that in particular I love, uh, but you see that litigators do this kind of thing all the time. I don't know whether it has any demonstrative effect on judges and how they view things, but it does make it a little difficult to do what happened today and yesterday uh, because what we're seeing, what we're going to talk about right now, is that despite all that language, despite everything that I've just described for you, Eurogamer announces, and this is based off a Business Insider article that I can't use on this, but I'll try to link it in the description because of the way that it's formatted. Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford and former lawyer bring end to messy legal dispute. Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford and the Borderlands Studios' former general counsel Wade Callender have agreed to bring their messy legal tussle to a close, with both parties announcing that lawsuits filed against each other have been dropped. They describe again the background, uh, and they talk about specifically Gearbox suing Calendar for allegedly failing to repay a $300,000 cash loan to finance a new home purchase, as well as additional money borrowed towards personal legal fees and using company credit cards and bad things. They then describe what we just talked about, which is Pitch Pitchford potentially you know, losing this $12 million, and ultimately the 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 end point here, the reason this video is titled Exoneration, which is a little bit weird, a little bit rare for a kind of settling of this type, is because the actual statement that was filed with the court reads as follows. Upon review of all the evidence in the case, 
it was of the opinion of counsel that the evidence exonerated Randy Pitchford from the allegations against him. All misunderstandings between the parties have been corrected and apologies were exchanged. Because the parties are mutually bound by confidentiality, no additional statements will be forthcoming. Now let's break that down into parts because that's interesting. First of all, we're not going to get any more information on this. Frankly, the fact that there is a sentence here or, or a clause here that says that Randy Pitchford is exonerated is something that Randy Pitchford and Gearbox's team would have asked for to get to, this, to get to the settlement. When you're discussing with the other party exactly what this is all going to look like, ordinarily, the most common version of this is it's just dismissed with prejudice, the parties agree that it can go away, and you never hear anything else about it. The fact that there is a statement here that Randy is exonerated, and note, there is no statement that uh, Mr. Callender is exonerated, presumably because his side and his team didn't feel that they need one, uh, and it wasn't offered by Gearbox and Randy Pitchford in any event, that Randy and Gearbox felt that they needed this statement, and they weren't willing to negotiate a settlement without it. Uh, so you've got this statement in here that says he's exonerated. Undoubtedly, the case is weaker uh, than it was presented in the language that we just read from the amended clause or, or the amended uh, case uh, claims. But it's not probably anything where counsel can determine at this point in the proceedings that everything is completely fair and exoneration is, is necessarily the appropriate word to use, but it was important to the other party, and each side was willing to essentially give up their claims. Uh, and you'll note here that while Mr. Callender doesn't get uh, a statement that he's exonerated, he also doesn't owe Gearbox $300,000. He also doesn't owe them whatever they were claiming vis-a-vis -vis stolen credit card information or personal legal fees or any other kind of misuse of company funds. So each side is getting something here. And they say all misunderstandings between the parties have been corrected. It's a statement that essentially, although we made all those claims against each other, we're willing to essentially set aside that $300,000 and all this other stuff, and you're willing to set aside claiming that I did all this stuff with a USB driver, was using company money to have, uh, you know, salacious parties, uh, and, and I stole $12 million. And certainly when we looked at the case earlier this year, it was one of those things where it looked like, hey, yeah, you might have a claim here. Uh, it's going to be a tricky one to bring because it's a corporate governance issue. Uh, and it would certainly take a lot of effort and potentially expert analysis and things of that nature to bring that claim. Uh, now, I will also note that that claim was brought over the summer immediately prior to Gearbox's biggest launch of a video game in some time. Uh, and that the point of leverage for coming to a beneficial uh, settlement uh, for Mr. Callender especially would have been, you know, immediately prior to the release of Borderlands 3. And then once Borderlands 3 has had its big kind of push and, and gotten whatever sales it's going to get in its opening wave, that leverage point is lessened. Uh, so it's not really necessarily a surprise to see a month after its launch here in the early part of October 2019 that this was a point of minimal leverage for really both sides, but certainly the side uh, of Mr. Callender who's trying to, to do certain things and make Gearbox look a certain way. Uh, and so in this particular situation, I think this is probably what's best for everybody in terms of uh, saving money, uh, saving bad press. Uh, we talk a lot about it in virtual legality, but the notion of litigation is, yes, you want to get your pound of flesh, you want to prove yourself right, you want to get justice, whatever that might mean in the claim that you're bringing. But all along the way, the people that get paid are the lawyers. And so at every step, you have to decide whether this makes sense to go after 
And it, hey, if it's for emotional closure, if it's for whatever else that you've got from a kind of ancillary basis, that might be wor worth it to you. It might well be worth it to you, but you have to decide because as you get past discovery, as you've actually had your lawyers make three amended complaints and have to go through parts and, uh, of depositions and other things that are very expensive, that you're paying a lot of people for their time, then you eventually have to look at it and say, what are the likelihood of success in this particular instance? And if I get success, you know, how much money do I make? How much do I lose? And is it worth it enough to me to cause a problem here? And one of the interesting parts of this entire lawsuit is the fact that Mr. Pitchford and Mr. Callender are described in every instance, including in Mr. Callender's claim, that they were friends for decades. And so you do have this kind of uh, element of emotionality in the litigation, which can always present problems. Uh, it can always present points of irrationality because you do have these situations, much like a divorce or family law proceeding, where even if it might make the most rational sense to drop it or to do X or to do Y, you don't follow that from either side because there is this element of emotionality. There is this element of betrayal. And I think overall, based on what I read uh, and based on what I saw about this lawsuit, it made sense for both parties to essentially say, hey, this is getting you know, too bad. We're damaging each other too much. Uh, neither side is likely to come out of this unscathed. Let's put away the swords. Let's just say I have a mutual, nobody's going to sue each other anymore on this stuff. And then yes, from Gearbox, Randy Pitchford's side, because they are in an ongoing operation, because they are going forward with the business and trying to sell products to the mass market, could you please give me something in terms of a statement that says, yes, this is dismissed. We're not going to talk about the details, but that I am exonerated, that essentially uh, you didn't find anything after we all talked about it that looked like it was going to win the day because that will be useful to me. And I can't speak for Mr. Callender. I can't speak for his team. Uh, depending on the emotionality, depending on what he actually had in Discovery and what he saw, that might have been an easy give. Uh, and it might have been a difficult one. It might have been a costly one for him to give. It's very hard to say. Either way, at the end of all this, you've got a Gearbox that sold a lot of copies of Borderlands. Uh, I think a lot of people are happy with Borderlands 3. You had a very messy lawsuit that I think resolved as positively as possible for the various parties here. Uh, although I'm sure that there is some level of disappointment with the fact that now it's fully settled. Nobody won anything. And those lawyers' invoices are still due. Uh, believe me, I'm not a litigator. I'm a contract guy. I help businesses form and fund. But I've had those conversations as well where you've got a financing event that falls through. You've got a contract that doesn't quite get done. And, you know, I still worked 10 or 15 or 20 hours on the project. And we have to figure out how that goes. So the lawyers are going to have some interesting conversations with their clients on this. And it's not going to feel particularly good for any of the principals involved. But it's probably the best way that this could have ended at this late hour. The other thing that Eurogamer mentions here at the end of the article is that this isn't the end of the story for Gearbox lawsuits, uh, which is true. Gearbox seems to be being sued by various parties uh, at any given time. Uh, this is a completely different lawsuit. It is one that I also gave quotes on at the end of last month, a few days ago. Uh, and this is another Game Daily Biz article. It says, Duke Nukem 3D composer Bobby Prince sues Gearbox over alleged unpaid royalties. If you didn't hear about this story, uh, the basic notion of this is that uh, Prince made the songs for Duke Nukem 3D. He licensed them to him. This is his claim. He licensed them to Apogee, who was the original makers of Duke Nukem. Uh, and he licensed them on a basis of he owns the music, he licensed it to Apogee, and Apogee can use it in Duke Nukem as long as it pays him $1 for every copy of Duke Nukem sold. Now, one of the things I commented on in this video uh, and elsewhere is that it's unusual to have a flat rate 
uh, royalty in video games, particularly because you have such a fluctuating price point. Uh, and certainly Duke Nukem 3D sales are not justifying $1 going to the composer at this point in time, just in terms of price. Uh, I'm sure the music is great. I don't think I've actually ever played Duke Nukem 3D, so uh, apologies for that. Uh, but regardless, you don't usually see a flat rate because it, it prevents people from changing the price to meet market demands. Uh, and so what happened here is that eventually Apogee and the rights to Duke Nukem get sold to Gearbox. Uh, and Gearbox doesn't pay the, the dollar. Uh, now, there's a lot going on here, but suffice it to say, uh, Prince winds up suing Gearbox saying, hey, you owe me all these royalties. He also winds up suing Valve, uh, who he says essentially ignored a DMCA takedown notice. Now, if you're not familiar with this, please go back to my Stardock videos, uh, which are all about Star Control Origins, another kind of fight about license terms and contracts, and how the DMCA works. But to shorten it, the DMCA says, hey, if you receive a takedown notice and you're a platform provider like Steam, then you can remove this material that is alleged to be copyright infringement and you are going to have a safe harbor. You're not contributing to that copyright infringement and the people that actually made the content can't sue you for not doing what you're supposed to do under your terms and conditions. It's essentially two safe harbors. However, if you get that DMCA takedown notice and you decide oh, it's not a great claim, we're not going to take it down. That's not a litigable offense. That's not something that is a crime for you to do. You don't have to listen to every DMCA takedown. It just eliminates the availability of the safe harbor for you. So instead of being able to say, hey, we listened to the DMCA takedown, you can't sue us for contributory infringement, now you can't. And that's what's happened here. Prince is also suing Valve for essentially not following a DMCA takedown that he issued, and he says that they contributed to Gearbox's infringement of his intellectual property. And, and that's the lawsuit as we understand it right now. One of the things I describe in this article, The Game Daily Biz, is it all depends on the contracts. You know, when we talk about things as old as Duke Nukem, one of the issues that we find throughout video gaming in the gaming industry is that there's a bit of a Wild West approach to making contracts and contract terms back then. And so when you've got this kind of deal where it's just a flat rate dollar for some music in Duke Nukem, you do have these questions about what that contract looks like, whether or not there's an implied assignment or an express assignment clause, whether or not Apogee was essentially paying the dollar uh, out of its largesse and, and beneficence rather than the actual contract terms, which can happen. And also kind of the uh, other implication is whether or not Randy Pitchford and Gearbox made certain promises to Prince uh, that could be kind of held against them as a fraud claim, regardless of what the contract says. If they said, hey, regardless of what that contract says, we're going to get you your dollar, and then they didn't, you know, is there a detrimental reliance claim? Is there a fraud claim based on that kind of issue? I don't think we have enough information on this. I only bring it up here at the end of this video because it is interesting. It is about Gearbox. And thankfully, from the perspective of Gearbox and Randy Pitchford, it's actually about the business of making video games and not so much about two old friends fighting uh, and, and things getting really dirty and messy. So this is actually about a contract term. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that uh, Gearbox is going to be held to be in the right on this. It's going to be something that we'll keep our eyes on. Uh, but if you are interested in this, we will link this article in the description. You can find a number of quotes from me talking a little bit about what we talked about in this video, as well as a little bit of extra background and context. Uh, and that's really Gearbox right now. I was surprised to see the settlement, uh, and maybe I shouldn't have been based on the timing of the Borderlands 3 release, uh, but I thought it was an interesting update and an important one to bring up because that uh, Borderlands 3, the Randy Pitchford $12 million magic trick, uh, and just the general marketing of that video game in particular has been a topic of much discussion in virtual legality. Uh, and so I thought it was important to bring up the fact that that 
that that litigation had been settled and settled in a way that was unique. The NDA aspect isn't unique. It's very common. It's it's really the norm for a settlement to have a non-disclosure agreement because nobody wants to relitigate any of these issues. Nobody wants to get out in the press and talk about them. What is uncommon is that statement of exoneration, and it certainly looks to be something that Randy Pitchford and his team at Gearbox uh, extracted, asked for as part of the settlement that was important to them, and, and that was how everybody got to the table. Uh, so I think it's a good solution for them. It'll be interesting to follow the Prince lawsuit to see if anything develops there and whether or not Prince has a good claim based on the contracts that he had with Apogee. Otherwise, this has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this video, please like, please subscribe to the channel. We talk about these things all the time. We just spent 40 minutes or so talking about the United Kingdom's tax question after that Guardian expose uh, yesterday regarding the fact that a lot of big, big, big name video game companies like Sega and Sony uh, aren't paying uh, a lot of taxes in the United Kingdom and how the law actually winds up essentially mandating that result. Uh, and so take a look at that video. We've talked about a lot of other things. And as I mentioned earlier, my brother and I talk about game design and games like Borderlands 3 in a show called Two Hogs Are Better Than One that had its latest episode this weekend. So check that out as well. Otherwise, if you caught this video on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.